Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and I'm super excited about today's episode because I get to interview another guest from the great state of Texas. Today's guest has held a variety of roles in the utility space, including being a turbine maintenance supervisor, which I find super interesting. Throughout his career, he's had a major focus on safety and is currently the continuous improvement manager for a major electric utility in Texas. Please welcome Kurt Kidwell. Welcome, Kurt. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Really excited to have you here today, and it is good to uh, have a fellow Texas uh, resident. I, I can't really refer to myself as a native Texan because I wasn't born here, but um, you know I have been here for quite a number of years now, so I'm, I'm finally feeling after almost 30 years to be pretty acclimated now. Oh, yeah. It, uh, I'm, I, I can say the same thing. Uh, I was actually born in New Mexico, but my father was in the service, so we traveled uh, quite a bit, but the last uh, 25 years have been here in Texas, and I love it. Same here. I've seen a t-shirt around that says I wasn't born in Texas, but I got here as fast as I can. And and I kind of, I kind of understand that it makes a lot of sense. I'm uh, proud to be a resident here. So let's go ahead and get started. Kurt, tell me what you think is the biggest challenge facing the deskless workforce today. I think something to think about and how we've moved through this pandemic with uh, virtual conferencing, virtual meetings, uh, you know, including that frontline worker in those discussions and how we can use technology to, to get them involved. But also, too, from the back office standpoint, we have a lot of folks in our, our company that uh, work in the back office and, you know, billing, uh, you know, different areas and different aspects. But one of the things I think is going to be interesting to move forward is how this impacts our uh, work teams and work groups being virtual and not having that personal uh, one-on-one uh, dialogue and in-person contact. I'm, I'm really interested to look into that and, and really learn how it is impacting our teams and, and what that looks like in the long term. I definitely think it's it's affected all of us. And, and I've, I've shared with some people that part of the motivation for starting the podcast was that I felt, and I think our team felt that we just weren't having as many conversations with people outside the organization as we were accustomed to having in, in a pre-COVID world, right? Yeah. And so whether it's our teammates or whether it's external partners that we work with, I, I do think we probably took for granted all of that one-on-one communication that we had with others. And, um, you know, a lot of it can be replaced with Zoom and Teams and things like that, but, you know, some percentage of it just can't. There's a, you know, an intimacy, obviously, that we've we've lost uh, in a lot of ways on that communication. Do you think that that experience has been different for the frontline workers in your organization versus the folks at headquarters who have largely moved into, you know, working from home from their kitchen table with a laptop versus the men and women that are out in the front lines that are still having to continue to, you know, keep the lights on literally oh, yeah. and figuratively in your world? What, what do you think some of those differences are? 
Well, yeah, I, th I think there's uh, extreme differences. Uh, I think folks that uh, generally work in an office type setting, uh, the, the change has been relatively simple uh, as far as, you know, getting in, into their teams and, and working through the visual uh, tools that we have with, you know, with WebEx, Zoom and, and things like that. But what I do think is really hard is for those workers that are at, out in the field, especially our line workers who are out there uh, trying to keep the lights on, uh, but having to stop to try to use a, a, a one, one guy's got a cell phone that, that, to try to connect to a, a virtual meeting and it's uncomfortable. Uh, nine times out of 10, they're outside. And uh, so it's really hard to connect with those guys in a virtual presence. And what we're finding is, is hopefully as we get better with our technology and have, they have the, the tools and the resources to do that, we can come up with some, some better ways to do that. Just made me think about something as you described that scenario, you were painting a picture for all of us about, you know, the, the men and women in the field who are being pulled into a Teams conference, right? There's some communication that's happening between other, you know, corporate offices uh, or folks working in a regional office out to the men and women in the field. And they're standing out in the field, literally in a field, perhaps outdoors, as you said, nine times out of 10. You think there's any resentment from the frontline workers about the fact that the colleagues that they're talking with are sitting at their kitchen table in sweatpants? Is, there, is that driving anything, you think? Well, I think as a human, anytime that, you know, you're out in the elements and, and you're, you're dealing with, uh, issues out in the field and, and weather and, and mother nature and, and all the things associated with that. I think as a human, you probably have a little bit of that, you know, and, and, you know, I wish I was at home working, you know, from in, in my uh, sweatpants. But uh, one thing that I find about uh, utility line workers is there's a lot of pride in what they do. There's a lot of, uh, uh, they, they take that job really serious. And the customer is such an important piece to them, uh, uh, getting the lights back on for them. It's, it's, they're an amazing group of guys and gals that, that really, um, I don't think let that get in the way too much uh, on, a, on a large level. Uh, I think that the biggest part is just trying to make those connections from the field, really. Connections is in personal connections with the other folks in the organization that support them and vice versa. Yeah, the personal connections and also, you know, just the connectivity. Uh, some areas that we are in, um, it's it's really hard to have good signal, a uh, cell signal or uh, the capability to to get in. And, and with that, a lot of times we have our, if, if, if a crew member or a crew uh, has to do a, some kind of video conferencing, they'll stay at the dock. And that way they, you know, they can, communicate better. They can, uh, you know, understand, you know, hear everything, limit the distractions, but that does a really terrible thing as far as efficiency goes. And I think they struggle with that because, you know, I've got to stay back here and do this video conference when I need to be out there keeping the lights on. You just made a whole bunch of great points. And first of all, I just want to recognize the comment you said about the men and women in the field having a lot of pride for what they do, particularly in your industry. And uh, I, I can see that it makes it makes perfect sense to me. And so while they may not 
uh, verbalize any resentment toward, you know, their colleagues that are working from home at the kitchen table. Um, you're right. I, I think it's a balance of the, the human element of just saying, yeah, I'm frustrated. I'm out here dealing with, you know, the, the worst case scenario situations while others are, are working from the comfort of their home. But I, I do appreciate you balancing that out with, with, uh, you know, kind of giving us a perspective of pride. I, I think what I find more frustrating is the folks that work in the more comfortable environment, not understanding that which their colleagues in the field are working. I find that really frustrating. And I've, I'm, I'm almost tired of hearing myself talk about this now. I've complained about it so many times, but just this idea of Zoom fatigue that, you know, a lot of office-based workers are talking about. I'm like, really? Is that really something that's making you that tired? <laughs> you know? And, and I just, I find it frustrating when I think we've, we've lost uh, perspective sometimes about what, you know, 80% of the workforce isn't complaining about Zoom fatigue because they're not on Zoom all day, right? They're actually out in the field, you know, doing hard work in, in bad situations. So um, I, I think about that a lot when you talk about the pride of the, the line workers out in the field. And, and to me, that's a great example of, of why we need to uh, keep that connection somehow, um, you know, and, and so it, it's really two points. So I agree with that because I've, I was actually reading a report a while ago that, uh, you know, back in August, I spent, um, I think it was 87% of my time on Zoom uh, or WebEx uh, type of meetings. Um, and there is a fatigue to that, right? And there is a, a struggle as a, a, a worker that is inside the, the environment of your home and you're looking at a screen all day and, and hopefully uh, you have an ability to stand up and, and move around and, and take those uh, breaks that are needed. But I also find it pretty interesting that now that Zoom and, and WebEx have been such a uh, introduced to our world in such a quick pace, how many of these meetings we're having back to back to back and there's very little time in between. So, uh, you know, there's, there's that's that part of the worker that's inside dealing with those issues and, and struggling with those. And then, you know, work hasn't really changed so much for the outside line guys, except in, in gals, except for the uh, occasional WebEx that they have to engage with. And so um, it's interesting to, to look at and, and learn and, and I think that's one of the things that's most important, important is to get in front of those different teams and, and learn what they're struggling with and how can we help them. Yeah. And, and I should clarify, listen, I, I agree with something that you just said. I, I am uh, also one of those folks that has seemingly back-to-back -back, you know, Zoom calls and Teams meetings and things like that. And, and I'm not saying it's always is a lovely circumstance. Yeah. I think that the part that I find frustrating is just the the lack of um, empathy and awareness for uh, the folks who actually haven't changed. Their job hasn't changed that much throughout the pandemic. And part of the, the goal for me with the Frontline Innovators podcast is to just raise the awareness that there is a group of workers in our global economy. And by the way, they represent the overwhelming majority of the workforce that are still making the lights work, making sure that the groceries are still showing up. They're still driving trucks, driving trains, doing all the other things that the rest of us are dependent on. Actually, you know, making sure that all the technology works that we're dependent on, right? right. And, um, and so that's, that's really a part of the objective here with, with Frontline Innovators is just making sure that we're, we're all staying grounded and understanding that some of our colleagues, you know, um, they're, just, they're experiencing a very different version of the pandemic than, than many of us are in the offices. Oh yeah. Let, let's let's turn that over a little bit to what your role is. 
um, inside your uh, electric provider. So tell us a little bit more about what you do and, and how you ended up in the role that you did. So yeah, I'm the continuous improvement manager, which is, is multiple hats in a way, we work with uh, the great game of business, learning and teaching the rules of how business works. Uh, we utilize lean tools uh, and try to teach those tools to our organization to understand, uh, you know, and, and gain efficiency. And we also spend a lot of time around uh, safety and human performance, human and organizational performance. Uh, you know, the worker, like you just said a while ago, uh, the, the worker that's closest to the work is impacted the most and has the most risk. So, you know, our team really tries to spend a lot of time uh, with that worker and help tell their story and hopefully help teach them ways to uh, help themselves and make their jobs better and understand uh, what, what struggles they have and, and how, what kind of things they can do to, to improve their um, work life. How did you end up in this role, I mean, uh, you know, I kind of talked about it at the intro, you, you literally were a turbine maintenance supervisor and, and had some roles before that as well. Um, I'm just curious how you end up, you know, in, in the role that you're in today throughout that journey that you've had in, in your, um, at your current utility. Yeah. So our, our utility, we, back in 2013, uh, really put an emphasis on uh, developing uh, our folks and, and looking for folks to implement lean into our utility and, and try to uh, maximize our uh, efficiency, but also uh, lower our cost, you know, for our customer. So I volunteered for a project in, in Ohio and, and went and spent uh, six or eight weeks up there and uh, took some lean consulting or, or lean uh, white belt training and from there, it just, to me, it just uh, stuck and I just couldn't learn enough. And uh, I've been on that journey since, and it's taken me to uh, several different directions and, and really how to, um, it's really taken me to that, that point where you mentioned earlier about the worker and, and how to, we solve the challenges and, and um, in their world and, and learn from them and to be better because we do have uh, employees that we need to take care of. We have a customer we need to take care of. And, and importantly, uh, we have a business to take care of. So uh, it, it really just stuck with me. And, and so it just kind of developed from there. And, and now I, I do that full time and I love it. I actually really love what I do. And I think it, it does make an impact. I can tell both uh, in our conversation today and, and when you and I uh, prep for today's call, you have a strong passion for what you do. And I think that's one of the common themes that I'm seeing with the guests that we've had on the show is just um, really excited to be able to talk about the role and um, also just a, an insatiable appetite for learning. That seems to be another common theme of, of guests that, that want to talk on the show is, is not just uh, sharing with us what they've already learned, but hopefully getting plugged into learning more. And, uh, you know, that's exactly the kind of community that we're trying to build here. So let's, let's bring it back to the kind of main challenge that we spoke about at the beginning and, and just what we think about with the challenges that the men and women are, are facing on the front lines. What do you think their perspective is on what the biggest challenge is? Do, do you think that 
when they hear things like digital transformation, you know, I, I know that your organization's going through a lot of technology change. And so there's probably a lot of communication going on around transformational, you know, digital initiatives and stuff like that. What do you think they think when they hear those terms coming down from, from corporate? I think they're ready for it. Um, I was with a team yesterday of, of frontline workers and I was, I was showing them the, the process that we're trying to develop and get their feedback and making it better for their, their work packets, um, how they receive work, uh, how they complete their work, how they do their time. And they're just ready. Uh, they've, if you look at their process now, it's very, they have to go into multiple systems. Um, they have to have multiple, uh, they have a, a laptop, they have cell phone, they have, you know, different applications they have to go into. And it's just, it's frustrating to them. Uh, they see it as a waste. And um, I, th I think that's, you know, a big challenge going forward is to limit the amount of things that they have to do to get their work done. And especially in a uh, technology aspect, um, give them one device, uh, let them be able to do everything they need from from one device and and limit the amount of things that we're asking them to track and and do. Um, let you know, open free them up to let them do the work. That's what they really want to do. You think technology sometimes has stood in the way of them getting or or at least they perceive that to be the case? Well, I think early on it can. Um, some of the things that we've seen is as technology develops, um, you know, we tend to, uh, you know, they get work in different ways. Um, and as, as that technology develops and we're trying new things, what sounds good in an office uh, most times isn't good in the field. And a lot of times we see a transfer of responsibility of, you know, gathering information down to the field. And it's not intentional. I think it's something that it just, as this technology and we're learning and we're trying to get better, it's, it's something that kind of just happens. And, and we have to really be careful to um, be mindful and, and watch what responsibilities and, and what things that are, are we asking of our uh, frontline employees uh, to do? I think you just touched on, well, there are a couple of things. The first I just want to acknowledge is that, you know, we've always said you can't build mobile technology solutions from a conference room. You have to go spend some time in the field with the men and women, see the vehicles they're driving and interacting with, see the tools that they're working, see the environmental conditions that they work in. Um, some of the best days that I've had in my career when I've been fortunate enough to be able to go take a field trip out in the field and go do ride-alongs with, with folks that are working. I've done that a few times with utility companies and just to live, uh, you know, to the extent possible, uh, live a day in their life and, and take those learnings back into the design process and say, okay, here's why this idea that we thought was going to be magical on a whiteboard is just not going to work for these guys, right? They've got a tool in one hand and they've got a tool in the other hand, and, you know, they're right. standing in a, in a, you know, in a pit, right? How are they going to like pull out their tablet and do this at this point? Right. So just to, to get some of that, you know, uh, a dose of reality to, to apply back to that. And I think that really helps with the change management aspect. So 
that's really where I want to go next is one of the things that, that I think you just talked about is, or that you alluded to is not really communicating well about why we're making some of the changes and why we're asking them to change. So you just touched on something that um, is really critical, which is oftentimes when we implement new technology, we're asking for the men and women in the field to collect more data than they had been before. Do we do an adequate job of explaining to them why we're asking them to collect that data? So we're actually adding more tasks into their day. Do we do we do a good job of communicating why that is, why it's important to the business and how ultimately it's going to circle back around to them? I think I know the answer, but I'm curious to get yours. Uh, I, I would say most organizations struggle with that. I think that's something that's really hard to do because um, like you mentioned earlier, we don't really understand a lot of times or take for, we take for granted that we, we think that we know what it's like to, to live in, in, and do what they do. But I think a lot of times we take for granted how hard their job is. And that, you know, one of the, the things I really like about uh, something we, we call, you know, the workers, the solution, not the problem to be solved. Hmm. And, um, you know, I think it's really critical uh, to get the worker involved in any kind of technology uh, modification, upgrade, anything like that. As, as we move forward, uh, I know in our organization, we're in a, a period of time where we're fixing to bring in a large scale improvement to our technology. And one of the things that we're doing is actually getting the worker and pulling them from the field and letting them be in the, uh, at the beginning stages of this process and tell us what works and what doesn't. Uh, I think that is going to be the reason it's successful. Um, it, like you said, they have to. It helps when they understand the why. It's it's critical they understand the why. And most of them, especially with technology and, and where we're at in our organization, uh, when we have a group that is ready for it and and wanting a better way to do things, uh, you know getting them involved and, and letting them uh, have a, a big part of that process is, is to me is critical. I just want to highlight, I've literally bolded and just highlighted the quote that you just gave me. The worker is the solution, not the problem to be solved. And I think that's profound and amazing that you share that inside, you know, your culture at your company. I think it's really, really well said. And, and I think it, it just kind of speaks to the challenge of change management. When we're talking about transformational initiatives that we have to treat them as, as a part of the solution. And one of our early podcast guests, my uh, co-host interviewed Jen McComas from IBM. I've now referenced her probably a hundred times in, on the podcast and elsewhere that she said, technology is something that we need to do with our team in the field, not to them. Yes. And that's just, you know, like your uh, comment, it just struck a chord with me that we've got to make them a part of the process, allow them to be a part of the process. And, um, you know, if we're expecting them to be a part of this transformation, the sooner we can get them plugged in and this, the, the better we can uh, be about how we communicate to them. I think it serves them and allows them to be successful. And ultimately, then all the other dominoes will fall. The program could be successful and the business can achieve its outcome. But if we don't start, you know, with the men and women in the field, then it, it just makes everything else have more friction to it. For sure. And, 
you know, if you look at our, if you look at any business structure, a large organization, even small, anyone that's not actually out doing the, the physical part or the, whatever it is that you're doing, uh, if you're not the worker out there doing that work, technically your support, right? Um, because without them, you have nothing. Uh, you, you can't, you can't uh, keep the power on with nobody out in the field. Right. Um, at least not yet. <laughs> so um, some, I think sometimes we forget what that support really is about and, and not in a negative way, but uh, we, we tend to want to help them so much that sometimes if we don't ask them, or if we don't include them, we don't know what product, what, where they need the help, right? And we try to assume that we know that. And without their voice and, and their inclusion in that, um, it cr creates a lot of uh, frustration, but it also creates a lot of waste and and in, in their process and and separates us. So I think I think you're exactly right. It's 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 so important kind of putting you on the spot here because I, I don't think I asked you uh, specifically for this when we prepared for the podcast today, but I'm curious if there are any examples that you can think of where being out in the field has given you or other team members insight, you know, where the, the guys in the field gave you an idea or redirected something that ended up having a, a material change kind of, you know, created an epiphany moment for you guys where we just said, Oh yeah, that's not going to work. Or yes, that's a much better idea. Can you think of any examples like that that you can share with us? Yeah. Um, one that comes to mind and it's, it's one that really opened my mind to it. And I think a lot of others is uh, when I did work for the generation side of the business um, we had a, a group that, that manages the coal pile at the, at the facility that we were at, the, the power plant. And it, it requires someone on that pile all the time with, with a, they call it, it's a D11 Caterpillar. It's probably one of the biggest um, uh, dozers that, that Caterpillar makes, it's, it's massive. I think the blade is 16 feet tall and 20 foot wide. So you're constantly having to move and, and and compress and, and pack down that coal to keep it from uh, igniting on its own. Well, one of the gentlemen, we were actually doing a learning team is what we call it, is where we get a, a group of, of a, a crew together and, and learn from them. And the idea was to learn from them about an injury that had happened when a, a, one of the, their crew members uh, stepped off a dozer and twisted his knee. But the great thing about a learning team is you go in there without a, um, a real purpose. It's really more about just learning. And we had a, an employee had been there for a long time. And he, uh, he said, well, I'd like to talk about something. He goes, uh, most of the guys on my crew are in their mid fifties, upper sixties. And when we're driving that uh, D 11, it has a decelerator on it, which is as if like a, if you have an accelerator pedal, you push down and it accelerates. Well, it's opposite on that tractor. When you release, it accelerates. So he said, you know, if, if one of us was to have a heart attack and we're in that caterpillar, the way that we have to uh, go back and forth on that coal pile, if, if we were to become incapacitated for any reason, 
it would speed up and and the path of destruction would be right into um, a, a storage fuel area and also our offices, our supervisor offices. And everybody just kind of stopped and 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 I think it was really important that that to me that was a really pivotal time to to see what our workers really are thinking, what worries them, what bothers them, what they struggle with. And then, uh, you know, he said, he actually even had a, a solution. He said, I even researched it and we can put a GPS system in our dozer that um, will not allow us to go past a certain point that it'll actually um, uh, stop the dozer. And I mean, what more do you want? I mean, to me, that was, uh, an employee that was invested, he cared about his work, and which all of them do. Uh, you have, I think, that's one belief. I think we all have to understand is, um, you know, our, our our workers come to work to do a good job, and uh, we just got to listen to them. And when you listen to them, you find these nuggets like that that are just, you know, well, changes everything. You know, <laughs> that's that's an amazing story. And it's, it's just a perfect example of the kinds of things that we would just never think about. I certainly wouldn't have thought about that. Um, and I've actually done a lot of solutions with GPS over, over time and, and wouldn't have thought about that as a solution. One of my favorite parts of the story that you just told is that the gentleman actually went and began researching uh, solutions on his own. I think that's the other thing that we, we don't give the men and women in the field enough credit for what they're capable of. And, um, you know, perhaps a, a few bad apples, you know, that, that we've all interacted with have convinced us that they're not capable of more. And, and I think that's just, we're all shooting ourselves in the foot when we, when we think of, uh, you know, our colleagues that way. So I, I love it. That's just such a great example that proves that they are capable of a lot more and that we, the, the more we can include them in the process and the communication and the design of these systems, uh, that the more that they are likely to engage with the technology, right? In, in this case, right. I know you weren't giving an example of a technology story, but I think it's, you know, the same things hold true. Right, for sure. And, and uh, you know, just, just, just having that opportunity to, to learn from them, uh, you know, it, as far as technology, you know, uh, something that I learned yesterday, in fact, with the, we did a learning team with a group yesterday and we were talking about, you know, how they get work and, you know, they have, uh, you know, that system to put their time in. It's a separate system. Um, they have a separate system to manage their, their work, their documents, uh, you know, what the job is and how to do it. They have paper documents still on, you know, their pre-job brief to discuss, you know, the aspects of the job and, and make sure everybody understands and, and, and have the appropriate defenses in place before they start work. And, um, and so you have a range from paper to uh, three, four, five different systems they have to log in and out of to get uh, work done. And how, I mean, if you wanna talk complexity, to me, that's complexity. And, and you're asking that person to monitor uh, a crew that's doing, uh, extremely dangerous work and most of the time in bad conditions, a lot of times in bad conditions. So um, that's where I think this technology is going to take us to a place where uh, we minimize the impact to the uh, frontline worker 
and minimize the amount of, uh, you know, things that they have to log into and, and use and, and, and track and, and, you know, manage and, and keep it simple. You know, what, what you just described are things that are, are thought about a lot with consumer technology. We think a lot about user experience, uh, you know, Apple and, and Facebook and Amazon and Netflix, all, all these companies that are, you know, widely adopted by the consumers have really thought a lot about user experience. And I think inside large corporations, oftentimes enterprise software is just rolled out and we don't think a lot about employee experience. But we should, because we we need to put the same effort into that experience uh, to ensure adoption. There's nothing worse than spending millions of dollars in new technology and having the engagement be lackluster. Right. And and we wonder why that is. It's just, you know, in large part, because not a lot of thought has been put into what that end user employee experience ought to be and how it could be optimized. I agree. You know, when you were telling the, the D11 uh, bulldozer story, you, you talked about how the the guys in the field often have different fears. And in that case, you know, he was very self-aware and, um, you know, was able to articulate some of the concerns that they had. And it was a great story that you told. I've often talked about that as it relates to technology adoption that I think, you know, many of us that work at headquarters uh, certainly still may be some, some discomfort and certainly nobody likes to change. But I think a lot of the men and women in the field whose primary job is not necessarily around technology, but now they're being told they have to use technology, they may also have some fears that are not obvious to us. Do, right. do you think that's a, a fair statement? What are your thoughts on that? Um, do, yeah. do, you, do you think that they have different types of concerns than maybe some of the other folks in the organization? Uh, yeah, I, I agree 100%. You know, and when we're learning from the field, we hear that. We hear that from uh, employees that aren't. Um, they didn't grow up with a cell phone in their hand um, and or a computer at home, some of them. Yeah. And so we're finding that, you know, now I don't want to stereotype people uh, as far as generations go, but um, because I think there's, there's, there's differences there because, you know, we have some baby boomers that uh, love technology and try to learn everything they can. But we also have some that, you know, would love to just stick to the paper and pencil yep. and tell me, you know, give me my packets and let me go to work. But, you know, with the new needs in business and, and having to be more agile and, and more efficient, you know, technology is going to play a big part of that. And, and I do think there's a struggle for some workers, but there's also the opposite of that, where we have a lot of workers that are, um, that grew up with that cell phone in their hand uh, and want it to be more like what they do on a daily basis with the Amazons and the, the, the Googles and, and Apples of the world. And that's what they're used to. And, and, and I think it frustrates them that, that we can't be more like that. So that's one reason I'm really happy that with our organization really moving in that direction, it's just really hard when, when you have a, you know, 16,000 employees and, and, you know, eight different states that it, it's, it's, it's tough and it's slow and, and you have to be a little bit methodical, but, um, you know, that desire to, to make it better for them, I think is, has been what's really good. So. I totally agree with something that you just said, which is about what, what I believe to be a bit of a myth and, and an overgeneralization that age is the biggest indicator of, you know, 
technology adoption willingness or, or even ability. We've witnessed the exact opposite of conventional wisdom in that scenario. I've seen the gray hair guy on the team who's been there for so long, we can't even remember how long he's been there. And he'll push the young guys to the side and grab the technology and say, let me show you guys how this is going to work. Right. And, and just my observations of that, I think sometimes are just that they've been through so much change. There's nothing that's going to surprise that, you know, character in this story. Right. right. Uh, he or she's just been through it so many times. They've been handed so many different mobile devices that they have to use over time. They've already made a transition from paper. Some went well, some didn't make, you know, go so well. And so they just seem a little bit hardened to it and just saying, okay, this is just the next change. And I almost feel like you talked about pride earlier. I, I, I saw one example where I think he almost, um, it was kind of a badge of honor to him that he'd been around so long that he was going to show the young guys, you know, how this stuff was going to work. Right. Oh, yeah. I've also seen young guys who didn't feel particularly comfortable with the technology. And, and it's my belief that some guys may choose certain career paths and maybe a utility company is a good example. He may be thinking something along the lines of, if I could just be a lineman, you know, at a utility company, like, you know, my brother, my cousin, my uncle, my father, whatever, then I don't have to use technology in that job. And that would be perfectly okay with me. And now they get into this job and it turns out they do have to use a whole bunch of technology now. And it's, it's only going to get worse going forward. So I love that you called that out because I think few people have really acknowledged that age isn't probably the key determinant there. I agree. hundred percent. Um, it's, it's easy to look at that and say, you know, I bet that's the reason, but I think it's deeper than that. Like you said, and it's more of an individual uh, basis and, yeah. and what that individual's experiences, uh, how they were brought up, uh, their beliefs, their behaviors. Uh, it, it, there's so much. Our frontline employees are so much deeper than that. Yes. You know, and, and we, we tend to think of them as um, one thing. But I think that's what's awesome about, about people and and. And human beings, you know, we're complicated, we're complex. And, and we have to understand that, especially from an organizational standpoint, that, that our, our folks, uh, you know, what they do, uh, how they do it, how they live their life, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot out there that they have to, uh, to manage and, and to oversimplify it, I think, is easy to do. And, and we tend to do that. And a core tenant of change management is that, you know, organizations don't change, but people change as part of organizations. And I do think you're right in, we all, I'm guilty of this, of, you know, generalizing that a workforce is, is a collective, right? And yes, it is, is, it is a collective, but each of those individuals in that organization are coming to this with a different level of proficiency, a different level of comfort. Uh, different vulnerabilities that they feel about, you know, the adoption of new technology. And so we need to build the solutions. We need to consider all of them in our strategy. Right. And, you know, you said something else that, you know, we talk a lot about in my, in my day job, which is that some of the folks in the organization are early adopters. They are craving more than we can give them 
now inside a large organization. And I don't know a lot about your company in particular, but I know a lot of companies like yours and they've tended to not necessarily be the most innovative. And so I think we're leaving some of the workers frustrated that they can't get access to more innovation faster. And then in that same team, perhaps in that same truck, on that same crew, there could be another guy or woman on that team that is reluctant to adopt technology. And so the challenge for all of us that are you know, frontline innovators that are trying to implement technology and, and help ensure success is figuring out how we meet all of them where they happen to be you know, in that uh, journey and make sure that we can all be successful together. Exactly. That's, that's a great way to put it. And um, I couldn't agree more. What are some of the things that you really love about working around technology? I love how it, one, the efficiency, right? Especially when you're looking from a, a lean or, or continuous improvement perspective, uh, technology offers so many opportunities to, uh, you know, have that information at your fingertips and um, you don't have to, you know, carry a, a safety manual around with you. It's, 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 it's all in one place in your, in your phone or, in your, your desktop. And um, so it'll, to me, the, the idea of uh, keeping all your information uh, at a, you know, a fingertip away, uh, being able to make contact uh, and meet with people like we're meeting today virtually, uh, you know, uh, I've got a call uh, this afternoon with a, a group in uh, close to the middle of Louisiana which if I had to drive there would have been, you know, three and a half, four hours. Um, and then, but instead we're going to have a really good meeting and uh, learn about some things that they're doing. And so I, I, to me, I think technology is, is going to, my, my favorite is, is, is being able to, you know, have that information and, and contact people and, and, and be able to see them too. I love it. Wait, I love that you said that we, you know, we were really early adopters of, um, video conferencing in, in our business. Uh, we ran the company fully remote. So, you know, this is all pre-pandemic going back to 2015, 2016. And uh, so we were early adopters of video conferencing so that we could kind of bridge the gap of the, the you know, the physical divide. I think one of the silver linings that's come from the pandemic for, for us is just seeing all of our customers and business partners and everybody else turning their cameras on. So that shyness and the reluctance to flip your webcam on has just kind of gone out the window and it happened overnight. And it wasn't even a tech innovation thing. This is just purely human behavior change, right? We all had video conferencing available to us back in 2015 and 16. Just nobody was using it. We've had webcams on our laptops for a decade. Nobody was using them. And so all of a sudden with the pandemic, everybody's flipped them back on and it just feels very natural. And so I'm excited about that. I'm a people person. So I like to interact with others. Um, I just had a situation where I met somebody that uh, in person that I'd known now for a year and a half, but only over web conferencing and uh, had a chance to, to meet him in person. And I felt like, you know, I couldn't believe it was the first time we were in the same place together. And, uh, you know, we have video conferencing to thank for that. So what, what are some of the things that you don't like about technology? Certainly there's a, there's a downside. What are some of the things that come to mind? Uh, well, kind of what you just mentioned, uh, you know, that in person, I think there's something about, physically being in the room with someone and engaging with them and, uh, you know, being able to, from, from my perspective as a facilitator, a lot of times it's really hard to get uh, the feel for how the, the group is doing uh, virtually. But when you're, when you're in there per, in, uh, physically with them, 
you can read that body language. Uh, the energy level tends to be up a little bit more and, and you can pull that energy and, and uh, see where you need to, you know, maybe take a break. I think that's one of the things that uh, I get in trouble with the most is we tend to get on, or I tend to get on these uh, webcam, web uh, uh, meetings and, and forget about breaks and people need breaks. And uh, so I actually have a, uh, a little timer that I use to uh, keep myself from forgetting that because I get so involved and so engaged and, and um, my learning nature can also be a, a, uh, a bad thing too sometimes. I, I think you hit it though. You, you hit the nail on the head that, that I don't, I hope that webcams don't replace in-person collaboration. I do think what this will do for us in business is allow us to perhaps reduce the number of meetings that we would normally have had face-to-face, -face, but I really hope that it doesn't eliminate them. That, that example of the story I was just sharing a few minutes ago, I mean, we were dying to get together. We just wanted to go have dinner with these guys. We'd been working with them for a year and a half and had never been in the same room. And to just go break bread with, with another group, it was just fantastic for, for the relationship building. So uh, I do think we need that as humans. I think all of us need that type of interaction. And um, so I, I agree. I think it can be a downside at times. And I think going forward, we'll have to figure out what that appropriate balance is to reduce travel, perhaps reduce some of the unnecessary meetings where we would have driven three and a half hours in both directions to, to go be somewhere that could have been a web call. Um, but I hope we don't eliminate it altogether. So I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah. You know, one, one thing you just made me think about too, is, you know, one thing exciting about this technology and, and where we're moving to is we're finding that we've kind of reorgan or reorganized our workforce and, you know, some folks can uh, stay working remote um, and some are maybe a hybrid type where they need an office and they don't need an office or they, you know, or they only need an office part-time. And so what we're finding is our brick and mortar locations, office buildings, we're able to uh, be more efficient about, you know, the space we need. And, and when you have people working from home, uh, you know, like we do now, we're finding that, uh, you know, we're not going to need as much space. So that's going to uh, save, you know, our customers and our, our company money. Uh, we're also finding that just the parking, especially when in our areas of uh, that we have downtown offices, um, we just did a learning team uh, the other day about, um, you know, our parking and, and how we manage uh, the parking for our facilities. And there's going to be huge savings just on, on parking uh, fees, uh, fees to the company and fees to our uh, employees. So, um that's really exciting to think about how this technology is going to change, you know, the, the brick and mortar style of, of how we used to do business and, and ultimately, you know, help us save, since we're a regulated utility, um, you know, the more we can save, it's better for our customer, you know? It, it makes perfect sense. And I think that's really, you know, when we think about frontline innovators looking at how we can use technology to create efficiencies, to improve safety, uh, to improve the, you know, the overall outcomes and success for the individuals and the company as a whole. That's really what we're, we're all about here. And so I think what's, what's been interesting to me is just that all of this technology existed prior to 2020. 
And in this case, it took, it took kind of an external force here to kind of force the change on us. And so in the spirit of talking about change management and tech innovation, the question is when we have other innovations that exist today, they're possible today, but perhaps we're having a hard time getting engagement, how can we not create a pandemic, but how can we you know, um, create change in that organization that has you know, the same adoption that we've seen through the pandemic, but how can we create that change in the organization? And I think it's, it, you know, it depends on professionals like you who are constantly thinking about this stuff, who are passionate about it, who are setting up the learning teams that you talked about to really think through how we can get that adoption. And for all the change management professionals who are really thinking through the communication of, of that change and how we can ensure adoption. So I, I think that's, um, it's pretty exciting. I think we have a lot to learn from this experience that we've all had over the last couple of years. For sure. We do need to wrap this up. Um, before I, I kind of exit the show, though, I want to, you're the first person that I'm going to uh, officially invite to the newly named community uh, that we're calling the Frontline Innovators Council. We're opening this up. Uh, the fee for entry is that you have to have sat through uh, being a guest on our podcast, which you have now completed. And so uh, you've paid your dues. And we're going to be launching this. Uh, we're going to be doing it on LinkedIn. Uh, it's going to be a private group for uh, the hosts and for all of the guests of the Frontline Innovators podcast. And the spirit of this group and why we're pulling this together is to create a community of folks that want to participate in this discussion from a variety of industries, from with a variety of backgrounds, a variety of, of degrees and experiences, um, but to really raise the awareness of the innovations that we're trying to promote to the front lines and uh, the change management and adoption challenges that we have around that. So I'd like to uh, be the first to uh, invite you and welcome you into that community and uh, be looking out for a notice uh, you know, from us uh, through LinkedIn to get plugged into that group. Great. I, I look forward to it. And, and I think that's one way of uh, also uh, bringing new uh, innovative ways to our, our uh, company. So thank you so much. Yeah. The, the exciting thing for me, I have such a great uh, vantage point here because I'm talking to folks from all different industries. And what's really neat to me is challenges are different, but many of them are the same. And it doesn't matter whether you're a utility or a retail grocer or uh, you know uh, a transportation organization. There are certain things you've used the word human a lot today, talking about people, right? Talking about the human element. And a lot of that is really the same, regardless of the industry that we're in. So I'm so excited to bring together the Frontline Innovators Council to bring people together from all of those different industries to say, what are some of the uniquenesses about each of those industries? But what are the things that are common that we can learn from, you know, a guy that works at a utility company and see how can we apply that to retail grocery? Uh, you know, what are the lessons learned? And so that's really the spirit of that. And um, so I'm excited to have you participate with that. And we'll get that uh, invite out to you this week. Great. Thank you. Excellent. Well, we do need to wrap it up there. Okay. Um, I hope everyone else has found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. And if so, please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. The podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile a digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit our website at skillful.com. That's S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com. 
And if you or someone you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love for them to be a part of the Frontline Innovators Council. And as you've now heard me explain that to Kurt, you do need to be a part of the podcast in order to join that council. So please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story. We'd love to have you on the next episode. Kurt, thank you again for taking the time today. It was really great to get to know you and uh, appreciate you t- sharing your story with us. 